Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Roasted Games Podcast. I am Kaz Gable. And I'm Bill Price. And today we are covering a variety of topics, but um, I, you know, I was trying to think where we could start, but I kind of want to, do you want to start with uh, playtesting? Since we did a really fun playtest recently of a game you're working on, we could talk about that and kind of jump into that right away. Yes. So, uh, so I was in Denver last week, uh, which is why you did not have a podcast last week. So sorry (laughs) about that. But if it makes anyone feel any better, I had a really good time. <laughs> um, so I I brought uh, a game that I've been working on, gosh, for probably close to two years now, uh, really intensely for the last probably six months or so. But um, uh, within the last six months, I put together uh, a prototype, ugly but functional prototype, um, and brought it to Denver to play with Kaz and our buddy Jeff. And uh, it's it's called Isle of Cthulhu, and it's, well, it's a Cthulhu game. <laughs> um, but it's kind of, it's not one of those, like, dark, dark Cthulhu games. Like, everything brings, like, madness and terror and that kind of stuff. <laughs> like, there's nothing gross in this game. It's, it's all kind, it's kind of almost tongue-in-cheek. Uh, I'm probably would be looking at like a a cartoony type or chibi art style just to kind of separate it from like the death may dies and stuff of the world because it is not dark like that it's a worker placement game with uh with some elements of uh, area control and some set collection and uh and we play tested it we sure what did. We play tested the heck out of it. I I really liked it. It was really fun. Um, <clears throat> I think it's in a, it's in a like a good stage where where the, the game is, it's. Well, I don't know. How would you list it? I guess you're, you're the one working on it. But I would say, from my impression, playing it, um, it seems like the game itself works great, and it's interesting to play it now where it's it's functional and there's a lot of elements that are really were really fun and uh, we the three of us, um. I think really enjoyed in, interacting with them. We you saw some new strategies that you hadn't experienced before in previous t- playtesting, and Jeff and I I think both really had a good time. But it's interesting to play it at this time where you can kind of tell there's a couple different ways that you know as we were talking afterwards, kind of having a conversation about it, you were kind of thinking about directions that you could go with it at this state, and each of those directions would make it a different game potentially or or just a tweak so it's interesting to play it at this stage in the development but it was really fun i really enjoyed it i uh, i really like the um the way you set it up it has that nice uh it kind of reminds me of um oh what's it called uh oh, it's on the tip of my tongue it's the book about building the cathedral or the book the book and the series about building the cathedral <laughs> Oh, Pillars of um, the Earth. Pillars of the Earth. Earth. Yes. Yeah. Yes. One of my favorite things about that game is that there are two distinct areas of the game um, where you have, you have worker placement, but there's two distinct areas. And I like when games do that, when there's different ways to place your workers or different types of workers that kind of have to go in one place or another. But there's still a lot of variety in uh, how they're placed. And I, I don't know. I thought that was one of the most fun parts for me, at least, is to kind of contemplate, do I upgrade workers? Do I stay with my little workers? Because a lot of little workers are powerful, but then... Upgrading your workers is really important too for endgame, and they're also extremely powerful. And so, I always love that in a worker placement for sure. But uh, yeah. yeah, it was really fun. 
yeah, just just kind of to fill everybody in here, um, the, uh, the there's basically two spots for for worker play, two sections uh, of worker placement. One is just a standard worker placement location area where you place your worker, and depending on whether you placed first, second, or third, you get a guaranteed something. Like you place here on number one, you get five of resource A or what have you. Um, and that's kind of the, the guaranteed worker placement spot. That's kind of a traditional worker placement aspect for it. Um, the other option you have, instead of placing there when it's your turn, you can place in uh, a worker in a queue for a second worker placement area, the temple area, where uh, you're just basically in a long queue line. And uh, after all your workers are in one or the other, uh, then all the locations are resolved. And then the temple area, you actually take turns starting from the last player to place in the queue uh, gets to place in uh, various temples. And at that point in time, it becomes an area control, an area majority kind of thing where uh, you get... Uh, a certain something for first place, second place, and third place. So uh, you kind of have that decision of, do I use a worker to get something guaranteed smaller? Or or do I potentially use a bunch of workers to try and get something much more powerful, uh, but it's not guaranteed? And I, I think that that was kind of the choice that I wanted to present, and that's sort of the core essence of the, the game kind of the, the somewhat unique mechanism that, that it uses that, uh, that I think kind of drives the whole game. Yeah. Uh, is that choice, is that choice between do I place here, do I place here? Um, and kind of weighing, weighing that. Cause you, you really can't win if you concentrate only on one or the other. Uh, it's just, I, I, I at least I don't think you can, I haven't been able to, um, but that was my favorite part about this playtest and why I love playtesting. And it's, uh, I don't think a lot of people talk about this in particular, but because they always say, oh, I want to playtest to make sure the rules work and, and so on. But I find when I design a game, I design it with a certain way to play in mind. And I kind of build all the rules and, and the way things progress around that play style. And it never occurs to me uh, what other play style somebody could bring in. So I can play it all day with myself. I can I can play, you know, first player, second player, and third player and have fun games all day long. But until I play it with a real-life person who's like, oh, well, what if I just did this? And I would never think to do that because I, I didn't really build the game designed around doing that. So it's really neat to see some of the stuff that you and Jeff both did some of the the huge turns you had that I did not think were possible <laughs> um, just because I hadn't thought of them and uh, and and thanks to that like I I, I have two two to three pages of uh, crammed full of notes sure. uh, of changes to make and revisions and things to add and things to take away so uh, I think it will continue to be more and more refined I think it's at that uh, 85 to 87% fully functional area. So, but yeah. uh, I really, really enjoyed it a lot. 
thank you guys. Yeah, no, I'm happy to do it. It was really fun. Yeah, it's interesting. I, um, I'd be curious your thoughts too about at this stage where you are because you know 75 80 percent is still you know that's a functioning game but there's still a lot of directions that you could go that are going to drastically um or could potentially could drastically change how the game feels and works and so when you're thinking about which direction to go like what do you what do you prioritize based on feedback or maybe this specific feedback on are you trying to stay close to a certain feel of the game or is it that certain mechanisms or structures are very important when you're thinking about the game or have been thinking about the game and it's and what it is so those are important to stay and so it's making like what do you prioritize and keeping to make it work or to expand or adjust which can drastically change how a game feels well i uh i the game's fully designed around this this core worker placement choice mechanism. So um, that's really the only deal breaker for me. Um, I I like that it is um, fairly fluid. Uh, it makes sense. It's uh, there's not a ton of analysis paralysis. There's just like I place you place I place you place, and it uh, it has a a good back and forth. I think, which I, I, I like, and I don't, I would like to not lose that. Uh, so I, I think uh, the simplicity that it has is fairly important to me. And if I could even simplify it uh, more, I think that's kind of the direction that I'm I'm aiming for. It's not a super dense game, but I, I wouldn't call it at this point like a light game. Yeah. Um, so it's probably, probably medium density and and if there are a few little things here and there that i could streamline simplify um, i'm looking less to complicate things and more to simplify things i think that goes along more with uh, what i had in mind for the theme and the gameplay is not to take itself too seriously not to um, really be like super dark and depressing and and all of these things and and still keep it fairly fairly quick and light uh it is it is a little too long right now for what it is and that is that is one thing uh i am really working hard on is uh to change change that up and probably hack about maybe a half hour or so off of it sure it's uh ideally i think it should be a 60 to 75 minute game uh, I think it's sitting at around 90, an hour and a half to maybe bordering two hours. Sure. Um, and I don't love that. Um, but as as far as like right now, I mean, I'm I'm I I wrote down every suggestion that I could think of from you guys, and uh, it's kind of a go through line by line and say, does this fit? a with my vision of the game but it does it does it make it a better game does it make it a better experience yeah and uh and if it does uh then then i i will definitely put it in and play test that um if it doesn't if it's just complicating for complication's sake or to add something because just because it doesn't really add to the experience per se then uh then i'll probably not look too heavy at that yeah yeah no, that makes sense. I'm excited to see the next iteration as you uh, kind of advance the development on this. Oh, excuse me. Um, 
Let's see. What else should we talk about? Do we have any other thoughts about design or testing at the moment we want to get into, or should we jump? Um, well, the, the uh, I was actually going to talk about the just the difference in mindset. Uh, mm-hmm. If you've ever, and obviously uh, this is a game design podcast, so I'm, I'm imagining a fair bit of our our audience has uh, has play tested games before, or at least played games that may not be in their their final mode. Um, and I think that uh, to me, there's a, a real mindset difference when you're playtesting versus when you're playing a game to have fun. And uh, but but at the same time, what is what is focusing too much on the playtesting part of it and trying to break the game versus concentrating on ultimately um, in a playtest? Don't you want to know if it's fun too? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, how do you how do you like walk that that line as far as trying to break a game, but at the same time trying to experience? Hey, this is uh, this is this is the fun in the game. You know. Right. Right. You know, I think I could see it going two ways. I think a lot of times you start with a mechanism that is fun to you, and that's kind of the core of the game or or at least a large part of it why the game's appealing or why you're designing it so like you know in this instance with worker placement that's a that's a mechanism that you enjoy and um and then so i think i could see it just being at the core but then also i also wonder if it has to do with how far into the game design you are with earlier stages it might be really broken (laughs) easy to break it and so when you're play testing you just kind of hit that wall of oh okay never mind just these are mechanisms are butting into each other uh what was really nice playing your game where it's at is that we really could play the full game as intended and just try to in- get into some really fun strategy options and all of us were able to kind of go in a variety of different directions and do some stuff and and experiment with that so it was really enjoyable there and even though we were playtesting, i did find myself just getting kind of lost in my strategy and trying to find you know, the best opportunities for me to do what I want to do and, and, you know, paying attention to what you guys are doing and trying to go uh, at least a different path or not getting in other people's way while still playing the game in a way that is maybe going to hopefully <laughs> negatively affect my opponents. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, that'd be interesting. What are your thoughts on how to, how to approach that? Well, um, to start with, I, I did lose this game <laughs> to <laughs> you and Jeff. I came in dead last uh, by a pretty wide margin. So, um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was certainly, uh, eye-opening. Um, but I, I think that, uh, that you, you're right. It does depend on the stage. And to me, the earlier the stage, the more you're focused on the mechanisms. Is there a rule for this? What would stop me from doing this? Does this break the game? This might be too powerful. What if I just did this over and over and over and over and ignored these other things? Is that a viable strategy? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the further you get into it and the more kind of theming you get and art and, and stuff like that that you can kind of build into it. Like my prototype at this point is ugly, but it's still uh, I think it still comes across with the theme because it there is art in it and it's... Uh, it is theme appropriate, so it's not like we're playing with you know clip art or anything like that. So it's uh, it's got it's it's not like a first stage prototype or anything. So I think that uh, 
at this stage, it was, I was playing to just for the fun. Like I was having fun and doing what I normally do when I play against myself and kind of building what I thought was the core strategy. Um, come to find out it's totally not, um, (laughs) but, but it was still fun and it was, it was really fun and engaging to see, um, how actually interactive it ended up being. I, I, did not think that it would be as player interactive as it ended up being. And that was kind of an eye eye opener for me. Um, Because when I play against myself, I always just kind of keep out of my way. Sure. Everybody keeps out of everybody's way. And that's just, you know, you do this thing and it's more multiplayer solitaire. But when playing against you guys, like there was a lot of, oh, you went there just because you knew I wanted to go there. Right. And so now I have to come up with something else. And, oh, well, I know you want this, so I'm going to start building over here. And um, and there was just more more interactivity than I than I thought. Uh, I'm digressing. But uh, but I really do think that it's uh, it really depends on what stage you're in. Like like you said, I think uh, the the later in the stage, the more the rules work, the more you can look at is this fun. Yeah, it'd be interesting to hear like other designers thoughts on like, do they have points in the design process where they basically just take fun stock? You know, do you do you because you can get lost in the mechanisms and make the most efficient, mathematically perfect game and it is not fun at all. And we have both right. played games that are like, wow, they really didn't think about this actually being played by people. <laughs> I'm sure robots <laughs> would enjoy this, but and be amazed the at the least... efficiency of it. <laughs> yeah. The least fun spreadsheet I've ever played. <laughs> right, yes. yeah, and it works <laughs> extremely well, but it is not fun. And that is such an odd, like, it's like trying to define art. It's just a hard thing to define and clarify, but it's like, you know, I know it when I see it type of thing. But I'd be curious to know if other designers really have, like, a check um, for themselves to, you know, take just check in on the fun factor and be like, is this fun? Is this as lighthearted or heavy as I want it to be? Is this feel like people are engaging with for the joy of it? Or is it just like trying to solve a math story problem? Um, and when, and when you kind of, that would occur to you or when you would, uh, kind of examine that in the development process. <laughs> yeah. I'd be curious about that too. So any designers listening, that's, uh, it's you, Corey and Donnie, um just let us uh and and everybody else um i i'm curious about that as well so hopefully next time we have somebody on we should ask them about it yeah all right well let's see speaking of straddling the line between dense and fun (laughs) i thought if uh, we could talk a little bit about a recent gameplay that i did i had my first experience with the pax series of games i had for the longest time, thought I had played another one of these games, and I don't know what I was thinking of, but after reviewing all the titles, none of them look familiar to me, and so I'm not sure what I was thinking of. Um, but yeah, the PAX series of games are published by Sierra Madre Games, now uh, Ion Games, and uh, I believe they still carry the Sierra Madre logo, though, but they're two companies combined. And they are some Euro games. Like I think they would... you. You'd easily say they fall on the heavy Euro side, but they typically deal with um, historical moments in history. And my understanding of the PAX series is that it is moments of transition, so moments of peace that suddenly are disrupted for whatever reason. The one I played was PAX Porfiriana, which is about the beginnings of the Mexican Revolution. So Mexico had decades of peaceful, heavy-handed rule by 
uh, a man named Porfiriana, and he was a very wealthy businessman who basically had control of the country, of course. And uh, when that happens, yes, the dictators, <laughs> they just happen to have a peaceful country, but they also – it's also uh, – there's some downsides, I guess, as we all know. So uh, this has to do with the revolution and the switching and craziness of government uh, transition from the um, peaceful dictatorship of Perfiriana to a variety of different government states. And you are just another wealthy businessman uh, who's trying to kind of corner off your own part of the country and gain control, uh, not necessarily of the country, but you're trying to manipulate the um, – state of the game to score a certain type of victory point. There's several types, and each one is contingent on what form of government is currently at play. So there's Pax Perfiriana, which is the current state of government when you start the game. Then there is Anarchy. Then there is um, Martial Law. And then there is... Oh, shoot. I forgot the last one. Um, But anyway, each one has a different way of winning. So, for instance... Uh, anarchy. Anarchy wins by scoring rebellion points and so or victory points. And so you have to do certain things in the game to affect those. Um, you can – a variety of things. It's too much to actually explain. But basically a variety of things in the game to earn these points. But the issue with, pack, with these games are is that it's kind of a moving – not an issue, I'd say. One of the things that these games do is that it's a moving target. And so – you might have a lot of rebellion points, and if anarchy is the government and it is the government is toppled when anarchy is the current government, well, guess what? You have the most anarchy points. You win. But if it is in Pax Perferiana and the government is toppled, cur- I think it's uh, loyalty is the points that you need. Your rebellion points mean nothing. So all that work you put in there is useless. And so it's an interesting push-pull and balance system of trying to not only gather points – uh, but also to influence the win condition at the same time or get it to the win condition and end the game at a certain time when you are in the lead under that win condition. It is not an easy thing to do. I'm sure it sounds difficult, and it is. <laughs> but yeah. the the At- the nice side is uh, that it is a low-scoring game. So it's not like I need 58 rebellion points. I, the, I think uh, the person who won had like – Seven, and that was a lot for them. So, um, yeah, so it is a it is a somewhat dense game and a game in cards, but it is it is a lot to learn the first time. And so I was trying, we were kind of chatting a little bit before the podcast about like comparisons to other games that have that feeling as well. I, the one I can think of is Twilight Struggle, but uh, but yeah, have you you've have you had experience with PAX games or run into them in any way? No, no, but just in in looking like reading about them and uh kind of hearing your descriptions they uh and and I mentioned the, this to you off off podcast as well but the um they kind of make me sort of think of coin games. Sure, yeah. Uh, you've played you've played a a coin game before? I have not. I have uh we okay. a while ago we were all set up to do one i remember and then for some reason it, it fell through so fire i fire in the lake fire in the lake yeah i would really like to yeah. play that uh we have a friend kevin who actually works on uh the development of the coin games and is i believe in the midst of uh, development right now uh for play playtesting one of them and they're they're really fascinating to me and my understanding is the pack series is kind of a it's not they're they're not a direct comparison but they both have similarities in that it, they deal with historical periods of time um, but my understanding is PAX is a lighter type of game. Coins are very heavy and 
yeah, de- extremely dense, and it's not like a game you can just pick up and and just kind right. of oh, I won. <laughs> no, you're going to be trounced if you are playing with people who've played before. Pax is similar in that way, and that was kind of my feeling about it. I had a lot of fun playing this game, and I could see getting familiar with the game itself really allows you to experience the game in full. But it's one of those things where um, with heavier games, it's like, do I want to play packs all the time to get good at it? <laughs> because who else is going to play with me? <laughs> you know? Right. Um, I you don't really... have a packs club. <laughs> exactly. And if you do, I feel like that would just get boring after a while. <laughs> you know, just replaying the same packs game with each other or other packs games, I'm sure. But, um, but yeah, it's it's one of those interesting games where where I, I would love to play PAX again, but it's a definitely a once-in-a-while type game just because of the intensity of it and the heaviness of it. It We played it literally all game night. It was the game we played the entire game night. So that was a pretty long game with a full complement of players and a heavy game. And I think it does it well, but I can also see why um, uh, playing it... Uh, again is really going to make it like come alive and feel like oh i kind of get what i'm doing because like the first quarter of the game i was like i really don't know what i'm doing i'm doing a lot of stuff but i don't know if i'm getting any closer to winning so it's one of those balances which is really interesting that kind of makes me think of other games like similar to that kind of feel not the feel per se of of the game but the feel of uh that good every once in a while kind of thing where like um like ti4 sure or um uh nemesis kind of comes to mind of a game where it's a great experience and you want to play it but man more than a couple times a year and you're just like i don't think i got this game in me right (laughs) because it's because it is an experience it's like sitting down and watching like the lord of the rings trilogy which it's probably a bad example because I could do that every day. But like for a regular person, like sitting down and watching it and being like, okay, uh, I've had my Lord of the Rings for the year. Right. Um, it's probably similar in feel to, to something like that where it, it kind of seems like one of those games that those experiences that sort of takes it out of you and you're like, all right, I got that out of my system. Yeah, exactly. And it's weird because it, it's so fun, but it's not like, and I'm rushing back to play. <laughs> like, I, th- I know some people are. They're like, I could play TI every day for my life and I would love it. And Brandon I, could. Yeah, Brandon definitely could. <laughs> and has gone on extended binges of TI. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I, I definitely feel like there's – this, that feeling where you could probably play it a few times over a short period and be like, oh, it's so great. But then for me, I feel like it'd just be – I don't want to play it at all for like months and months and <laughs> months because I kind of got got it out of my system yeah. like you said. So it is an interesting balance. And um, the closest feeling I've had to that was playing Twilight Struggle, which is another really great game and a favorite game of mine. And it's just – it's a big, dense game, and you really do have to kind of know – what the cards are to play it effectively to know. So you either have to be familiar with the history, um, which is helpful, but also familiar with um, the game cards and how those historical elements uh, arise, because it's one of those cool historical games and Paxes as well, where all the events that are played are things that happen for the most part are things that happen. It's just the order that they might happen might be different in your gameplay versus the reality of history and how they affect the conditions might be different versus the reality of history. But it's exciting to 
play like in Twilight Struggle ex- example, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and but it's at a time when. Um, uh, the U.S. is in charge, and so they instigate the Cuban Missile Crisis, and it's just like, well, what would the benefit of them doing it? It's this really cool alternate history thing, but it is such a dense, like, mind puzzle that after I'm done, I'm just exhausted, <laughs> and and I had so much fun. But like you said, oh, all right, well, I got that out of my system. I will see you again next year, Twilight Struggle. Right? Have you played? Uh, have you played Twilight Squabble? <laughs> I have not. No. So, have you heard of it? No. Okay, so it's a two-player version. Well, of course, Twilight, uh, Twilight Struggles a two-player too. Uh, but this is kind of like the um, the Seven Wonders duel of Twilight Struggle. Oh. It's called Twilight Squabble, and it's yeah. like 15, 15 minutes. It's a basically a micro game. There's only uh, a handful of cards. There's like a little back and forth tug of war cube once the cube gets all the way to the end of one side or the other then that person wins or loses but um but it's very similar in that it it take you play cards uh kind of the similar cards to the ones you'd play in twilight struggle um but it's like supposed to be the experience of twilight struggle in like 15 minutes Hmm. and it's it's not the full experience but if you were to be like uh, if you were to play that with somebody and they were thinking about getting Twilight Struggle and you play that with them and say, okay, that's sort of the trailer to the movie that is Twilight Struggle, they would get a taste for it. Sure. They, Interesting. They, they'd get a feel for kind of what the vibe would be like and sort of how the game makes you feel. Um, it is... Uh, it's not nearly as dense, uh, thus the 15-minute micro game. But right. uh, but they actually did a really really good job, um, kind of incorporating the vibe enough to the point where I think you could get a feel for it playing it with somebody. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I do remember that now that you mentioned. I'm looking it up right now, and I I'd kind of forgotten about this game. Um, it's on my shelf. <laughs> I've never played it with anybody. <laughs> I played it with myself. It's terrible. <laughs> the game's good. I won. <laughs> I won and I lost. <laughs> I did lose. Yeah. And win, yes. It is a really cool area in history. Like, I, I do have to say, I, I, these historical games with, that allow you to kind of create an alternate history in the game by still using the elements that happen are really fascinating to me. I, and um one of these days we'll get that fire in the lake play <laughs> when you're when you're one of these visits back home or to denver or wherever uh or maybe online we, we'll get it played but i i do find them really fascinating and uh the fact that there is a quicker version <laughs> is very enticing to me <laughs> yeah it's worth picking up it's pretty cheap too so yeah i suppose it's got to be pretty niche to uh to be based on twilight struggle which is a game that is like known but i don't not a lot of people have actually played it so i'm curious it's pretty popular it, it's really popular in the hobby yeah i think it's i mean it's it might even be still at one point i know it was a top 10 on bgg uh it probably is still in that realm i would think at least in the top 50 uh, yeah i think uh i think it's be it's definitely being over 
at this point it feels like it's being not left behind but overlooked for other other games it's hard to put a two-player game of that density on the table these days it seems oh yeah yeah that's true it's uh it's 13 it's number 13 overall on board game geek so that's a pretty pretty popular game uh must be must be doing something right yeah let's it's all of the um that's all of the uh, baby boomers that are retiring now, finding looking for something to play, and that right. <laughs> this is the pinnacle of history at their during their lifetime. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, the PAX games, I um, I recommend them. I'd like to try the ne- another series. PAX Renaissance, I think, is by far the one that I hear as the pinnacle of PAX achievement for the game design. But it is it's the which most one? Uh, PAX Renaissance. Um, Renaissance. They also have Pax Transhumanity, which is a newer one, and it is in, takes place in the future. So I don't think it is obviously based on histor- history. I think it's uh, uh, based on a what if type of history. I'm going to go with you on that one. That if it's based in the future, it is not, <laughs> in fact, based on history. Yes, I think I'm safe in saying <laughs> that statement. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Uh, but they they tried to take it's they did something different with this one they tried to um, um, kind of change the way it's structured uh, the other packs games are similar in play is my understanding and so you kind of can understand if you played one you've, you've you kind of get into the swing of the other ones but Perfurion is is regarded as the most easily uh, accessible game and it was it was pretty kind of not it was a little dense and then so as it goes up into uh, complexity. They, they, they seem really interesting. But anyway, Pax Renaissance is the of the older, the historical ones, the one that seems to be regarded as the best. So I'm very curious about trying that. But I'm also very it intimidated. Looks beautiful. It yeah, looks doesn't really it? Really nice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Pax Renaissance. Okay, let's see. What else should we talk about? Uh, we could talk a little bit about a uh, game on the other side of the spectrum, a very simple and straightforward game that we were able to play called Vi. And I could maybe <laughs> expand my nonsensical explanation of the last podcast where I was going into that a little bit. Yes, he uh, he pulled it out and he's like, this is the one I was talking about on the podcast. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, I th- when I was I rambling. I <laughs> literally... I literally had no concept of what he was talking about. And then I re-listened to the the podcast from the previous week, and I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I was sort of blanking out on that because (laughs) I wasn't really following you for a little while. And then, like, when he came back, I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Um, Yeah, it was pretty uh, rambly. (laughs) I didn't really have a point. I also didn't have a lot of details I could remember. (laughs) Yes, but we did did play it, and that was all worthwhile because it was awesome. I really really liked it like i like it more now i think even than i did when i got done playing it uh i don't remember who won oh yeah who did just probably okay because i'm sure it wasn't me yeah it wasn't me (laughs) but i i really yeah i really really liked it it's uh it's fairly unique in what it does uh it it has some a lot of elements that i've uh, are almost counterintuitive, but then as you play it a couple times, uh, you go through a couple turns, it becomes more intuitive. So you just kind of have to rewire your brain a little bit. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so, it's it's become one of my favorites. Big thumbs up from us. 
Yeah, yes. one of my favorites. Uh, it's published by a small publisher called Sand Hat Games, and um, they were going through a bit of a struggle getting the game republished over quarantine, and it's popping up, though. So if you do see it, it's not a very expensive game, and it's really worth checking out. So I would definitely recommend taking a look at Vi. Um, it also is one of those one of the games, one of those types of games that has a lot of modules that you can put in the game or not put in the game, depending on how much of a you know your play style and how interested you are in changing the base structure um and so i definitely feel for even in an expensive game it gives you quite a lot of bang for your buck yeah it, it it does we uh i think we played twice right yes and then uh the second time was with some of the additional land types and really liked that yeah really it, enjoyed it yep yeah loved it five was pretty great um yeah what do we play with we played with sinkholes uh we played with the catapult and we catapult, played with yeah. um uh, keep the keep oh yeah fortresses yes fortresses and yeah. uh yeah and each added a very distinct element to the game and uh yeah just really fun i love the i don't know it feels like i was trying to think of like describing the feel of it and it's kind of like chess checkery check chess and checkers with positioning obviously those are drastically different <laughs> density of games but but also um you're trying to s- it, it it felt like a little a little like um if like duke yeah the duke the the card game sure there you go that's a great way of putting it yeah you and have- i yeah i i liked it 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 had that it had that that feel of like um I don't know how to describe it. Kind of old timey feel, but yeah. still like, uh, like, but like chess old timey. Um, yeah, like something that you would play carved out of wood. Right, something. right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like one of those ancient yeah. games reprinted today. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you play with old terracotta tiles <laughs> made right, in a right. open fire or something like that. <laughs> yes. It has has a good feel to it. Yeah. I, I liked it. Yes. I am a big fan of that and uh, hope to see actually more um, games from these guys. I really thought they had a really cool version here and or, uh, take on this structure. And, and yeah, Sandhead Games. Check them out. All right. We also played um, a game that I talked about the previous, the last uh, episode um, that Larry ended up not liking. Uh, but I I don't know if you did, so I'm oh, gonna ask yes. you. What did you think of Draftosaurus? I I really liked it. I, I thought it was a pretty cute little game, and um, yeah, I I, th- I had a lot of fun with that game. What did he not like about it? He just <laughs> he said it was like it was awful. He said he just didn't like it. it <sighs> he and he we played it probably a couple of times before you got there, and then we played. You know, we you played with us twice. Once, twice. I think we, yeah, we played twice. We played each uh, board side, We've, the basic yeah, yeah, and advanced yeah. version. And uh, yeah, and he he did not. Uh, he just uh, right before I left Denver, just a couple about a week after game night, he's like, "Yeah, I didn't like that game." <laughs> okay, just okay. That's the first took first you aside. I've and... ever heard anything <laughs> negative about like uh, Joe and and Kirsten love it. I love it. It's a great filler game. It's quick it's easy it's like you don't brain burn too much because there's only you're only placing 12 12 dinosaurs on there so by the time you have a chance to even be like oh man i messed up like the game's over right so you just play again 
Um, yeah. So. Yeah. No, I thought it was pretty fun. I um, you know, I think we were mentioned, talking before about how, you know obviously there's Sushi Go is one of the best examples of a drafting as a game in a really fun way. It, it's able to make that really fun, and this was this felt similar in that there's just. You know, there's very much strategy. That dice or the die that you roll is really interesting. Like that makes the game to me to have that restriction. Oh, yeah. um, really makes it interesting. It makes it, it more of just like a, oh, I'm just going to grab what I grab and put it in fun places. It's just like, oh no, now I have to. Now I'm limited, so I've got to kind of think future planning here and try to do the best with what I got each turn. And I also love how it, the effect of it, based on who's rolling the die, um, it doesn't have to do the effect i think that's really cool i really really like that yeah yeah it does make that like when that die comes to you you're like oh thank thank goodness because i really need to place a guy here yeah <laughs> or else i'm gonna lose a bunch of points so so i'm I, i'm glad because i'm rolling and i really need this yeah um so so yeah it, uh, it is nice that every it's three players every third time, four players every fourth time to to get that that chance to have the reprieve. Uh, I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. This is one I'm probably going to pick up. I feel like this would right, be right up my family's alley, and uh, definitely one like my son can can easily get into. He's seven, and I think that even the boxes list is at eight and up. And as usual with <laughs> game ages, that you can probably knock a year or two off of that to get kids uh, oh, yeah. into the, onto the table with these games. So I think he would definitely get this one. Yeah, a lot of them are like fourteen plus because, like, I guess if you like eat the card, they have special coating on them that's poison <laughs> right. or something. Right. So they're like, you're like, really, an eight year old could play this, but uh, we're afraid a thirteen year old might swallow the die or something. Like, I, I don't guess. Know. what. Because <laughs> twelve year olds constantly putting things in their mouths, you know. <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference between a thirteen year old and a fourteen year old? Really? Yeah. Uh, I know, I know, it's a year, but uh, but yeah, realistically, it's uh, it seems so arbitrary to me. It really does. I always wonder that how they determine like who is the average child that they're being like, you are not smart enough to play this game, but next year, oh man, you're gonna get it in spades. I read something, and I don't know if this is accurate because I I read it on Reddit, so uh, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But um, in the game designer the board game designer forums uh, a lot of people are saying that um, if the game is for under 14 which is why 14 and up seems to be so common Mm -hmm. uh, 14 and up requires no testing like no credentialed testing Hmm. Um, whereas under that like eight and eight and up or like six and up or you know anything like that requires paying a third party to test the materials to make sure they're not like toxic or like the size of a child's windpipe or whatever whatever sure. uh, whatever they test for um but that it's more expensive to to list something under 14 but 14 plus you can just slap that on there and pretty much assume everybody's an adult yeah yeah interesting i didn't realize that I don't know if that's accurate, but that's kind of the word on the street. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an attorney, and neither is anyone on Reddit, no matter what they say. <laughs> right. Even attorneys are kind of not attorneys. Even attorneys, <laughs> not attorneys on Reddit. <laughs> right. Put your license aside. <laughs> I'm going on my computer. 
Yep. If you get on Reddit, you're just a regular dude. You're just like a dude. You're not a doctor. You're not a lawyer. You're just like a dude who knows some stuff. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Best opinion type of thing. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I did going back to Draftosaurus. I did really like it. It was really cool. And I, uh, I who let's see, who designs that one again? It's Antoine Bauza, I believe. Oh, it is Bauza. Okay. And, and, and then the, yeah, a couple of other like. Three heavy hitters, and I, I believe that there's another game they all three designed that was big, and I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, yeah, yeah, we don't need to think about it. Oh, um, yeah, I know it's gonna gonna bother me too. Anyway, um, all right, what else? What else is on the docket today for deep discussion? Um, Larry and I played a whole bunch of. Um, lord of the rings card game oh yeah i'd love to hear on how that is developing because uh last time we talked you were kind of just in the throes of getting into it and setting it up so at now you've had a bit of more time to play what are your thoughts on like the difficulty curve and playing with new players and roping people in what do you think and larry's a big lord of the ring fan so what is that what are his thoughts huge yes um i i like it more and more each time i play it it's uh you kind of learn you you always learn a new rule every time you play uh one because each scenario has different stuff that it does and and it's uh it's really surprising that uh how different uh scenario the different scenarios can feel just by adding like some extra text on a scenario card that now you have to do this objective and this and you're like whoa i've never had to do both of those things before and um so each each scenario does feel very very different. So they did a great job there. And and the more you progress, the later, uh, the later scenarios, uh, the expansions and everything, they become increasingly different. Right. Which uh, I I really like. Um, and they kind of build on each other. So like one will introduce a certain keyword or something, and then the next ones will kind of continue to incorporate that. Um, but. It is very difficult, really hard. It's uh, I, I, I'm the 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 thing that I, I feel like that makes it so difficult is um, all four spheres of of uh, influence that you have. Um, so like tactics or uh, spirit or lore or leadership, um, you build decks based around these right so your hero is either a lore hero or a leadership hero or a tactics hero or spirit hero and each one does something really really helpful like uh lore gives you lots and lots and lots of card draws and gets you through your deck really quick that's great uh tactics is fighting like all tactics does is fight 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 and that's great for fighting um, spirit is fantastic at questing and the whole point of the game is questing mm-hmm. um, leadership is sort of a jack of all trades it, it does all of them to an extent but none of them really great um, but it's hard when you're either soloing or it's just you and another player and you're each playing three heroes it's hard to to not have one of those so like larry and i played i I played tactics and he played uh spirit but we really were having trouble getting through our decks so a lore hero would have been phenomenal to have sure 
but you can't really get it in there. And if you get the lore guy to get everybody through their decks, then you can't quest as well, or you can't fight as much, or it's uh, so it's a very interesting puzzle. And I think it really depends on the scenario because different scenarios I think are helped uh, by by different things. So uh, there's still a lot of trial and error and stuff like that. We did we did really well with uh, the tactics and spirit tech. Um, yeah, so, so it really does kind of, a lot of push learning. you towards the deck building pretty early, like, because I would assume with the expansions they have, like, you know, decks that are for characters that are you could start with, and then um, how much deck building did you guys do when you were doing your plays? Were you using a lot of, like, um, pre-set stuff and then making some changes, or did you start from scratch with a with a deck? How does it work with, I guess, LTO here? I started with scratch. We played with with mine because I had have a lot more player cards, and I just took out all of the spirit cards I had and all of the tactics cards I had, and I literally separated them all out and just built from the ground up um, based on the three heroes that I chose for each one. So uh, I don't have any idea how this compares to one of the pre-made decks because i never played with one of the pre-made decks Mm -hmm. but uh i'd assume it's quite different because there's like three cycles worth of player cards in there so it's substantially more than what came in the core set so uh that probably helped because we did play some earlier scenarios and um having some of the later cards that were introduced after those um, kind of solve some of those problems a little bit so that that kind of helps uh, with the difficulty of play. I think if you were to use like the original core decks and try to play something from like the third or fourth cycle, I don't think you'd make it past the first card in the scenario just because they get more difficult as it progresses because you get better cards as you progress too. Yeah. Huh. I am really itching to try it. I I was um, after we talked last time. I was I almost picked up a starter set, and then <laughs> I'm really trying to rein myself in this year though of buying games. So I was like, all right, I know they're still publishing it, and so I know I can still get my hands on it. So I'm gonna pause for now. <laughs> but every time we talk about it or it comes up, I'm like, oh, it sounds really good. I really want to try this game. It it is really fun. It's um, you definitely want to watch some playthrough videos um yeah i i think because it 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 can be a little uh if you're familiar with this type of game uh which obviously you are um it has a lot in common with uh with like uh arkham horror the card game and and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. i i think that the basic the basic elements are, are easy to understand but it does have its its own um its own ebbs and flows and and uh there's like there's like 12 i think 10 or 12 uh phases for each turn so it's like okay and this time i do this and then we do this and then we get this mm-hmm. and now's when we declare this okay now's when we resolve this and now's when we move this guy here and now's when we travel and now's when we do that and so that's very rigid in uh in the way that it it progresses but once you play through a couple rounds it's like second nature you're just you don't even really look you're just you know what to do next because it it does get itself into a good flow yeah yeah that's cool that sounds like 
oh, right up my right up my alley. I just have to reach out to Kevin and ask him to, <laughs> if we can, because he's got a bunch of sets of of the game. So maybe I can I do that. I think he has the com- I think he has the complete. I think he has all of it. I, I I'm pretty sure he does too. Actually, yeah. Yeah, which is real, real weird that he happens to have like all of everything for everything, <laughs> but uh, but cool, cool nonetheless. Um, on a totally unrelated but sort of related note, um, do you see what's on Kickstarter right now? It's uh, the one thing on Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that's on Kickstarter right this minute. Um, it was uh, what's that that game that you and Kevin played? Uh, is it Doomtown? Or oh something? yeah, is Doomtown. Yeah, Doomtown. Um, so the the new printing of it, uh, like the second edition or whatever, is uh, is up now, and it also has like the all in for like five hundred dollars, where you can get the complete original set and the new, and they they do incorporate, so they play with each other. Oh wow, okay. Um, you don't necessarily, I don't think, need the previous printing, but you know, if you're just a completionist, um. But that's that's out right now, and I, I almost got just like the base, like the core for the uh, the new version, and I I did not because I also am trying to rein myself <laughs> in a little bit because I still have like twenty nine Kickstarters that are on the way, and I'd like to receive some of them before I start buying more. Right, right. I think. I've decided I I would I would like to do that. Oh, that is, oh, that is, yeah. I really like Doomtown. I, um, I, I'm, I'm sure Kevin knows about it. I'll have to let him know if he doesn't already. But, um, yeah, that's interesting. I'm trying to just going through the Kickstarter right now and kind of seeing what they, <laughs> the Weird West edition. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Let's see what they're doing. Yeah. Two copies of doing. They have some interesting how pledge much, levels. How much time is left on that? Uh, we are at 53 minutes for the podcast. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> I mean, how much is time left on the Kickstarter? Oh. <laughs> so I was like, oh, geez, I don't know. Let me check. Uh, <laughs> uh, five days. So we have less okay. than a week, everybody, to get on this. I'm sure they do late pledges as well, but. Yes, and this may actually, when this actually hits, you may only have a couple hours um, cause it'll hit Tuesday morning, I think. Yeah, that's true. And it's Thursday right now. So yeah. So anyway, we've wasted a lot of time talking about that for no fair reason. <laughs> I'm sure they'll do late pledges. They always do late pledges. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Do- Doomtown's great. Yeah. From what I hear. Yeah, it is. It is pretty fun. Oh, did you never play it when you were, when you were here? I did not. Oh. I did not. You told me all about it. Yeah, I, on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I don't know why I thought you did had, but yeah, that's one that um, we we should definitely try to play next time you're visiting because it's it's really is well done and it is such a cool wild west. Like I think we mentioned talked about this before. Like there's very few games that um, I, I think capture the wild west feel and are still really fun. <laughs> they can do one or the other. Right. <laughs> and Doomtown really did feel Wild Westy in so many ways, but it's also a really engaging, well-designed game. So I'm excited to see that they're expanding. And they're, I know it's a popular game, but I'm excited to see that they're expanding the way they are, and it's still as popular, or seemingly. I mean, 18,000 gold, and they're at 120,000 for backing. So that's, that's that's respectable. Yeah, and the the thing I thought was really cool when you were talking about how like combat, I think, is with. Uh 
playing poker hands. Yes, yeah. Which is super neat because I like poker. I don't think you like poker that much, but um, yeah, I'm yeah. a big fan. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think that's like a super cool element. It is. It's it's really interesting the way they do it, and especially with the deck building, the way the deck building works around that is it's really interesting how you um, you know you're building the strength, but all you have to pay attention to is what suit and value the cards are that you're putting into your deck to know that if you are battling, you know, do I, am I have a chance of winning or do I have to add some trick cards or do I have to know that I'm just going to be cheating all the time to win? It's really interesting. There's a, there's a lot of things to consider around the poker hand and the deck building combined without being like oppressive, like too many math things to figure out. My brain is aching when I'm building this deck. Right. All right. Doomtown. Yeah, that's cool. I'm going to let Kevin know and see what he, see if he's already on it. (laughs) that is funny like i think kevin owns like seven games but of the games he owns like all of the things for the games although now he's doing development thousand dollars it's like a thousand dollars worth of of stuff for like seven games yeah (laughs) Uh, yeah i i don't own anything close to that for any games i think the most stuff i own is uh the marvel united which i haven't i don't have yet so but in spirit, I own it. <laughs> I've been playing it in my mind for weeks. Oh, yes. yeah. I'm sorry. Let's see. I think Netrunner is the thing that I have the most of. And uh, probably fall second is, close second is uh, Arkham Horror. Although Pokemon's... <laughs> no, I don't have that much money in Pokemon. <laughs> I just have a lot of Pokemon <laughs> right, right now. My wife and my but... Pokemon's play continues, everyone. If I'm sure everyone was concerned and worried and interested. But I'm you know probably Probably... X-Wing is what I have the most of. I probably have $3,500 worth of uh, X-Wing stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, another game that we never played and talked about playing. We got to do that. Oh, so we should, you know what we need to do is make a list. And uh, so next time you're in town, we could be efficient about it. <laughs> or you need to come visit me in Louisville. Oh, that would be great. I would love to do that. That okay. is also a good option. That'd be really fun. All right, just send me send me your itinerary. All right, booking my flight as we speak. Sweet. <laughs> I will let my wife know when she gets home. <laughs> Next week, coming to you from Louisville, <laughs> Bill and Kaz, the divorce podcast. Kaz works through the end of his marriage. <laughs> we're so sad, but we're, but we're playing, playing all games. these great games. <laughs> Top 10 games for a divorce. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> oh, man. That would be an amazing list to make. <laughs> Gosh. I don't even know where I would start. I uh, uh, What's the one about love? The uh, What is it called? Falling. Fog of Fog, fog of, of love. love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd probably start there. And... <laughs> De- Death May Die is probably in there, there somewhere. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of like... <laughs> Happy and then really extremely de- dark. <laughs> depressing. Yeah. yeah, it's just a lot of yeah. manic and then depressive a games. Of, a lot of crying games. <laughs> yes. Then uh, you also play a little bit of Dark Souls, but you don't finish it. <laughs> you just play a little bit. And then you does just anybody give up, give up? No, no one does. <laughs> oh God! Has anybody has anybody won that game? I don't. I don't have no idea. I can't imagine. It is such a difficult grind of game. I can't imagine anyone's been like, "I did it," and then looked back on their <laughs> week of play and, and felt happy Why? about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, poor, 
small cadre of Dark Souls fans are shaking their fists right now. Speaking of really hard video games, and then we can transition into saying goodbye. But um, I was reading on Reddit that the... uh, Do you remember for... Uh, what was it for? Say, was it for Sega or, or for Nintendo? Uh, was that the Lion King game? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. So, uh, come to find out, uh, Disney had their programmers, their coders, make it so difficult that they didn't want anyone to be able to finish it during a rental period. <laughs> so, like. Years later, the programmers came out and like publicly apologized for making the game so difficult because it was like commonly thought of as like one of the most difficult video games ever made. That is brutal. Yeah, Disney, you jerks. Yeah, I hope we don't get sued for that. Yeah, oh. we, probably will. It's fine. Well, it's not liable if it's true. So, ah, oh, they we are jerks. Oh, Darn it! Nailed it. <laughs> they can't can't sue us. <laughs> We are like any judge is going to be like you're not jerks. <laughs> yeah, you are verifiable jerks. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm yeah. sure it'll hold up in court. All right, well, everybody, uh, I think that's going to do it, and <laughs> and uh, thank you all for listening. Um, you can look for our future lawsuit with Disney and the divorce episode <laughs> in future podcasts. But until then, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can do it in a couple different ways. Uh, Twitter and Instagram at RoastedGames1. And you can also reach out to us at uh, on Facebook, of course, at Roasted Games over there. And our podcast uh, our podcast home, eavesdrop.com. Scroll on to the Roasted Games page and fill out our comment form. Uh, many different ways. Just search Roasted Games. I'm sure you'll find us. But we'd love to hear from you guys and hear what you're playing. Hear your thoughts about anything that we talked about. And specifically designers out there, we'd really love to hear your thoughts about... Uh, um, the fun and when you're designing how does the thought of like is this game fun and the fun factor work into your design process um, i'm really really interested about that really interested to hear what people have to say about that so please reach out let us know and until next time we'll see you in the next episode bye